Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachik Tutubot, daf Tzadi Dalid, page 94. So I just want to note that the Gemara begins on this daf, or even beginning on the last couple of words on the previous daf, in commentary to the mission that we read yesterday. But mostly its focus, or at least the initial part of this daf, has the focus on the Rationale why it is that that fourth wife would not take the shvua, which was even in the Mishnah, that was already a point of interest, right? To say, should she or shouldn't she? And we're not going to focus on it further. We're going to go on. I ha- There's a case that comes up kind of right after that discussion. Um, so still on a Maralaf and not that far down. So Rav Huna presents us with this case of two brothers or perhaps two partners who have some legal proceedings, right, that are against another chad, another individual. And one of them went to the to the court, or however the legal proceedings were going to be affected, right? One of these two went to to be against the third guy. And then the other guy, the other one of the brother or the partner, cannot say to the third guy, I'm not answerable to you. I'm not, you can't say anything to me, right? He cannot claim that he's not bound by whatever decision was made in this, let's say it's arbitration, let's say it's a court case, whatever it is, whatever that decision or verdict is going to be, this other partner or brother, but a partner in the business sense here, is bound by that as well, even though he was not physically present because, you know, his brother or his partner was fundamentally his representative and he is roped in under the same terms. He can't say, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, you have no words to me, right? I'm trying to translate it literally. It doesn't really work literally. It's a legal concept, right? But rather, because again, he's considered to be the, the person who did go to the proceedings is considered to be his shaliach, his representative um, for all things, right? So he, he goes for his own benefit or his own purpose and also representing the partner or as I say, or as the brother. Ikla Rav Nachman Lasura Shaluhi Kihai Gavna Mai. So then the Gemara says about a case of Rav Nachman who one time went to Sura, the place Sura. Yerdana, you've talked about Sura in the past. And they asked him, what is the halacha, right? Rav Nachman was, a, was big guns as far as the Amorayim went. And he says, what is the halacha in a case like this one, this case that Rav Huna described just above, meaning where only one of the two brothers or partners, as the case may be, shows up to the court proceedings or the arbitration or whatever it's going to be. Amar lahu. So Rav Nachman says, he is taught in a Mishnah. And he presides pres- he provides the mission that we've just read. So he goes through the case of the Mishnah where each woman has to take the oath to the woman, the wife who had gotten married before her. And then he explains the rationale that why is it that the last one, I'm sorry, the last one doesn't take the oath, right? And then the, he wants to know what's the rationale, not because the second one needs the first one to take an oath, but because each one of them ends up functioning as the shaliach, the agent for, or the, the messenger, but I, or representative, I guess, for the, for the other wives as well, right? 
so that they each one is going to, meaning the first wife is swearing to the second one, but that swear, that oath, actually matters also to number number three and number four. And the second one is swearing to the third one, but it, it also matters to number four, right? Each one's not just a concern for one wife, it's to everybody who's coming afterwards in terms of whether there has been any messing with the taking possession of the ketubah. So the Gemara wants to know, is this really a, a good comparison? Me dami, is it, is it similar? Hatam shvu alechad shvu so here the Gemara says um, that the case in the case of the Mishnah, you have one oath to one is the same as if it's an oath to a hundred people. Meaning, even if there are a hundred wives, each one is taking the same oath that they have not, that each one of them has not taken something from the from the ketuba that was not next, that was not. Um, that was not hers to take, right? She's only taking what she's entitled to. Um, so then, but in this case, um, the where you have the case of brothers or partners, right? It's a business claim. And you could say, well, it's not just any old oath. You could say, if I had been there, I would have argued better. I would have made a better case or whatever. Um, and that suggests that it's not like, Sorry, Rav Nachman, maybe that's not really a comparable case because there is an argument to be made that it's not just one after another after another where each case is the same case and it doesn't matter who's in what, who's doing what in what order even really, but rather, I mean, except for that they're entitled to it in a different order, but here, the individual, each person here can make a difference because you could say, I would have done a better job. So then the Gemara says, Lo Amaran Ella Ella Delo Ite Bamata we only say this um, if the second guy is not even there, right? But if he's not there, if he's in town, if he's local, then he should come to the court, right? And he doesn't get to say, you don't represent me, if he could have been there to begin with. Meaning to say, oh, but if I'd been there, I would have made a better case, but you're local, so show up. And if you're out of town, then there's room to say that we're not going to that, that that claim that he's got an argument to say, but if I'd been able to be there, things might be different, but not if he could have been there. Uh, yeah, it's a, you know, it's an interesting case. I'm finding these cases are like, they're very detailed. Like they all can't get resolved unless there's like a particular set of circumstances that explain what the scenario is. But I guess that's the case with all legal cases, right? Like you have to look at all the specific details in order to make a determination. I, I find this to be very specific case law. Some of it, at the beginning, we were talking about, I don't know, more sweeping generalities. And at this point, at least these kinds of uh, cases, they're still general. You know, it's not about somebody with a name who went with somebody with a name. It's not history in that way, but it's still a much more specific case. Right. Well, Ahmed Beck gets into that. And so there's, I'm going to read one of those cases. Um, <laughs> Uh, so it's telling us the story that the mother of Rami Barhama wrote uh, some type of document. She wrote a, a deed in the morning giving her ownership of her property to Rami Barhama. So she basically transfers ownership of her property to her son. Okay. And Laorta Katvit Nuhu Lamar Ufa Barhama. 
But in the evening, she wrote another document transferring her property to one of her other sons, Mar'ukva bar So this mother basically, in the morning, transfers her property to one son. In the evening, tra- transfers her property to another son. Atarami bar So Rami bar comes to Rav Sheshes, basically to establish his right to the property. Ata Mar'ukva Mar'ukva goes, his brother goes to Rav Nachman. So two brothers each have a claim, although one was transferred earlier in the day than the other. They each go to two different Amorayim, right? Rav Sheshes and Rav Nachman. I'm sorry, I didn't finish reading that sentence. Ukame b'nechnasei, also to establish his property. Ata Rav Sheshes l'kame to Rav Nachman. So what's interesting is then the two Amorayim get together. So Rav Sheshes basically goes to Rav Nachman. Amarle, my tama avin marhachi. So Rav Sheshes basically says to him, why did you do this? Why did you establish a ruling, right, that Marufa is entitled to this property, okay? Amarle, my tama avar marhachi. So Rav Nachman says to Rav Sheshes, why did you do what you did? You allowed Rami Barhama to establish his claim to the property. Amarle, tikadim. So Rav Sheshes says to Rav Nachman, because Rami Barhama's you know, deed basically is dated earlier than Marufa's. So very interesting. We've learned in that Mishnah, right, that in Yerushalayim, the Minhag was to actually date timestamp it. And Rav Nachman, remember, they're in Babel, says to Rav Sheshach, wait, are we sitting in Yerushalayim that we write hours? on our documents. In other words, <laughs> that halacha only applies to a place, right, where they normally record hours. But we are in a place where that's not the case. We're in a place where we just write the day. We don't write the hours. LMR, my... It also, it also has that tone of like, don't be ridiculous. We don't do this thing that those Jerusalemites did. Right. Like, that's just not what we do. So you can't use that as 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 proof. So again, So again, Rav Shesha says to okay, but then what's the reason why you rule this way? Very interesting answer. So Rav Nachman basically says to him, it's the discretion of the judge. In other words, I ruled this way because like I, the Mepharshim explained, he thought this is what the mother wanted. And you could sort of see that. But in other words, like if the mother gave the property to one son in the morning, something happened and then sort of changed her mind, maybe the late, the last deed is the one that's more important because that might have been what the mother's intention was, okay? That is sort of commentary. That's not in the Gemara itself. But the point more is Rav Nachman has this concept of shuda de daine, right? Like, it's the discretion of the judge. Like, I looked at the facts of the case and that's what I, you know, that's what I think. Arle, so Rav Shesha says to Rav Nachman, Ananami shuda de daine. He says, okay, I'm also a judge. And I also, you know, this is how I ruled, right? Amarle, so then Rav Nachman says to him, Chada, right? He says, first of all, Umar Lavdana. He says, I'm a judge and you're not a judge. In other words, Rav Sheshes, there was something more official about Rav Nachman than Rav Sheshes, right? In other words, it would be like, you know, this like in a city, you could go to your local rabbi, but you could also go to the Dayan of the city, right? And And those would sort of carry different weights in terms of what, uh, how a legal judgment would be handed out in a Beit Din, right? The ode, and furthermore, right? At the- so finally, he reminds Rav Shesha that 
because he didn't figure this out on his own anyways. That wasn't his original reasoning that, you know, it was at his discretion as a judge. That's why he's also not allowed to invoke it as well. So it's a very interesting passage, which I think, first of all, talks about that different judges, or Nachman at least, viewed himself differently than some of the other judges. And that finally, you know, where you actually went uh, made a difference. Who you actually, what Bezdin you use, and some of this actually still holds true today as well, actually uh, could be important. But it's an interesting exchange to see, you know, how Rav Nachman and Rav Shesha sort of treat each other or view each other and what type of sock they're allowed to get. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us, and all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF and our Talking Tom at Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.